Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Session 2 of our Answers in Genesis conference, Dr. Mitchell will bring a message entitled, Genesis and Biblical Authority. Alrighty, I welcome you back to your seats. We're going to get started. And if you are new to the church, I'm going to let you know a, a church secret. Are you ready? Cold, medium, warm. All right. So if you, depending on what kind of temperature you like, all right, it's coldest around here and here, and then it moves into medium. And then if you like it toasty warm, uh, welcome. (laughs) There you are. Sorry. And the the further back, that's how the vents go. And so anyway, hey, it is, uh, (laughs) somebody wants to move. (laughs) All righty. Well, it's my privilege to get to introduce our guest speaker, Dr. Tommy Mitchell. And I'm just going to tell you, he opens his mouth one word, you know what part of the country he's from, all right? And let me just tell you, he is sassy. He's he's from the South, and he's sassy. Uh, He's got an attitude, and so, you know, it's going to fit in, because I don't know anybody around here with an attitude. Don't look at me like that. All right. So uh, don't forget that it's tonight as well at 6 o'clock and 7.30. Every time he's speaking, it's a different uh, uh, little message. And so uh, let me tell you about him. Most of you have read his bio. Uh, Eight years ago, he left a thriving practice as a physician there to join Ken Ham and his ministry answers in Genesis. This is just, it's a calling. Grab your heart and say, hey, you know, there's a lot of lies going on out there. I want to set the record straight that you can be smart and believe in the Bible as well. Amen? Amen. Oh, you're going to have to work. Let me tell you, I'm just warning you, you're going to have to work harder than that. All right, with this speaker. All right, so amen? Amen. That, whoa. Is that up to... Yeah, yeah, that's what I had to do. So, you know, I just want to welcome him once again. Why don't you welcome him like we always do, very warmly. Thank you for coming. All right, bro. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not from around here. And it, it didn't take most people that long to figure it out. So um, I do apologize for my accent. I do sound like this. I do say reckon and ain't and y'all. Uh, just get over it, okay? And uh, if I say a word you particularly don't understand, raise your hand and I will do my best to translate that into normal English. If, of course, there's an equivalent. Okay, sometimes there's not. But see, you don't understand what it's like to travel all over the world and sound like this. Okay, I mean, three years ago, Answers in Genesis sent me to Rochester, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With this accent. They thought Gomer Pyle had come to town. I could have told them evolution was true. They wouldn't have cared. They would have said, wow, did you really sound like that? I reckon I do, yeah. 
Well, what are we, what are we about this weekend? If, if Answers in Genesis is known for anything, we're known for dealing with issues of creation, evolution. And those things are important. You know, we try to equip people to have answers. But you know what the real issue is? What it really comes down to? We're on about the authority of this word. Is the Bible the infallible, inerrant word of the living God, or isn't it? That's what it's about. We're about biblical authority. I mean, should a Christian in this modern age, in our advanced society, should a Christian in this day and age care about the book of Genesis? Obviously, we think so. I work for a ministry called Answers in Genesis. We think it's very important. And if we're going to talk about Genesis this morning, the the most obvious first place to start would be 1 Chronicles. Hey, look, I'm having a good time. If you're not, it's on you. Okay. And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. I submit in this day and age, the church no longer has understanding of the times. Now, when I say church, I mean church in the global sense, church in the general general sense. I don't mean specific churches like this church. I praise God for churches like this that boldly and unashamedly stand on the authority of the word of God. But let me add this, you are in the minority. The church that I attended as a teenager, the church where I was baptized when I was 17, the church where I served as deacon for several years has said publicly, Tommy is not welcome to come speak here because we don't want to hear anything about that nonsense. The nonsense I preach is simply this, this word's true from the very first verse. They don't want to hear that. There's a disconnect. Now, is there a problem when the church compromises the authority of the word of God? You bet. 200 years ago, England was was the great missionary nation. With its ships, it took the gospel all over the world. Well, three years ago, I had the privilege of speaking for three weeks in Northern Ireland and in England. As I traveled around on this church tour, you know what I came to understand? In this day and age, that's a pagan culture. How do you go from being a great missionary nation to a pagan culture? England was one of the first nations to openly call into question the authority of the word of God. You want proof? Here's a church in England that's now a Sikh temple. Here's a church that's now a rock climbing center. A church that's now a museum. A church that's now a theater. A church that's now an information center. A church that's now a bazaar. A church that's a habitat shop, a music shop, an off-license shop, a mission nightclub, a tattoo and piercing studio. Well, Tommy, that's England. I mean, you know, they, they, they still have like a queen and they, they talk even funnier than you do. And the people, they even play football with their feet. I mean, what are they thinking about? I mean, what a wacky culture. You know, that could never happen in America. America's the last great Christian nation. Those things could never happen here, right? Here's a church in New Hampshire that's now a museum. Here's a church that's now a town hall. A church that's now a martial arts studio. A church that's now a music store. Psalm 11, 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's a barn has a crack in its foundation. What's going to happen to this barn? It's going to fall down, right? You know, the same can be said of Christianity. Every major doctrine in Christianity directly or indirectly finds its way back where? Book of Genesis. You want to understand sin? Where do you have to go? Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What are you talking about? Jesus died for our sins. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's just about the dumbest thing I ever heard. No, no, no. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. No, we're all sinners. 
What are you talking about? I'm a good person. You ever had that kind of conversation with people? I go round and round with people about stuff like that. You know what the problem is? You know what most people out in the world think? They're good. Even Darwin wrote about that. He says as evolution progresses, man's going to get closer and closer to what he called perfection. And there is a source of authority out in the world to convince people they're good. You know what that source of authority is? eBay. How many people here have shopped on eBay? Boy, I bought some priceless treasures on eBay. You go to eBay and it says, we believe people are basically good. Now, I don't know who else is shopping on eBay, but the people I know that shop on eBay are wretched sinners in need of a savior. (laughs) Particularly the one I see in the mirror every day. But see, if people think they're basically good, how do you convince them they're sinners in need of a savior? You have to go back where? God created everything in how long? Six days. Six ordinary 24-hour days. Looked at his creation and said it was what? When God says something's very good, how good is it? It's very good. Do not overthink these questions. Like I told the first group, if you have to go, you've overthought it. Okay? (laughs) The questions are easy. Okay? It's very good. In this perfect, very good paradise, what did God give man and the animals to eat? I know food. (laughs) Do you have this much trouble or just me? (laughs) Plants. Genesis 1, 29 and 30. And God said, behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. In the beginning, man and the animals were vegetarian. What did that mean? It meant Adam and Eve. Yeah, well, we'll pray for you, brother. But as a. Um, what did what, that mean? It meant Adam and Eve didn't have a barbecue. T Rex didn't try to eat Adam and Eve. The lion didn't eat the lamb. In the beginning, plants only. It's very important to understand that there's no animal death in the garden. In this perfect paradise, plants only. Now, do I promote a vegetarian lifestyle? No, thank you. I do not. Would you like proof? Uh, yeah, let, 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 let me give you this. You got this, you got this thing happening here. Any meal that does not involve ketchup and or A1 sauce, I mean, I just don't even see the point, okay? Don't bring me a plate of grass. My wife was traveling with me about a year or so ago at one of the conferences, and they took us out after one of the sessions, and we went out to eat, and my wife ordered a vegetarian pizza. I've never been more embarrassed in my life. It was like a piece of pita grid with some weeds on it. I said, baby, about a gallon of tomato sauce and 42 pepperonis, take the curse right off that thing. Now, I'm going to show you the single most important verse in all of Scripture. This is my life verse, Genesis 9-3. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb I've given you all things. I thank God for Genesis 9-3. Without Genesis 9-3, I starve slap to death. Now, that's worse than regular starving. When you starve slap to death, you're starving, okay? But see, it's not till after the flood we're given the biblical okay to eat meat. In the beginning, there's no animal death. Plants only. Now, in this perfect, very good paradise, is God still in control? Is he still an authority? Sure, if he's an authority, are there rules? Yeah, be be fruitful and multiply. There were things they were supposed to do, but there was a don't. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt what? How serious is our sin in the face of a holy, righteous God? It makes us worthy of what? Death. This is the worst day in human history. This is where God's perfect paradise is broken. Who broke it? Ooh, time out here. Parents, okay, I'm gonna have to run about two minutes over here. Um, okay, this is in parentheses, okay? This is, um, this is not my talk. I'm stepping out of my talk for a second to, to deal with this, okay? I have a wife and three daughters. At my house, I'm not even allowed to suggest Eve did anything wrong, okay? Because if I do, one of you women are going to drop dime on me. My wife will find out I did not say that. The answer, we did. They were the perfect representatives of humankind. They made the same choice we'd have made. God, we don't like your rule. We don't like your authority. We want to live the way we want to live. You know what God said? Fine. But there's a consequence to that decision. Death is here. This perfect creation is broken. Now, in this sinful state, can Adam and Eve have fellowship with a holy, righteous God? No. Is there anything of their own hands they can do to restore that fellowship? Did they try? Was this adequate? No. Was this comfortable? Was this poison ivy? I say no because to this point, nobody's given me a reason there would have been poison ivy in the garden. But nonetheless, we know this was not adequate. How do we know that? Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. What had to happen? Sacrifice. Genesis 3.21. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. How do you get coats of skin? You have to have a dead animal or a very cooperative animal. <laughs> there is no third choice. Adam and Eve clothed coats of skin, the first animal sacrifice. You want to understand why we're sinners? You have to go where? Genesis. Here's another question for you. What is marriage? Oh, Genesis. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Anybody? And this is as hard as it's going to get. Like I say, I'll, I'll do the carbon 14. So somebody tell me what marriage is. One man, one, where'd you get that idea? But you can't use Genesis. See, that's what most churches will tell you. Genesis is myth, fable, fairy tale. We now know enough to know what God meant as opposed to what he plainly said, which, by the way, is the definition of arrogance. God, we know what you directly communicate to us, but we're now smart enough to know what you meant. So if Genesis is myth, fable, fairy tale, guess what? We can reinterpret marriage. Here's the question. Why do we wear clothes? I'm a doctor. I know why people need to wear clothes. <laughs> I don't have to be convinced we live in a fallen, cursed world. I get it. Clothes are a covering for sin. What about the seven-day week? What about the effects of the curse? Here's one. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Who's the last Adam? If there's the last of something, doesn't make sense. There's a... You're about the first Adam Where? kind of all fits together, doesn't it? So, Tommy, you're going to stand there, 
All those letters after your name, all that scientific education, hopefully a reasonably scientifically literate person, you're going to sit there and tell me Genesis is real history? That's absolutely what I'm going to tell you. Genesis 1 to 11 is the true history of the world. It's the foundation of our cosmology, of our geology, of our anthropology. It's the foundation of our doctrines. It is God's direct communication to man. It is real history. But you know what you should do with my opinion? Or Ken Ham's opinion, or Dr. Georgia Purdom's opinion, or Dr. Andrew Snelling's opinion, or Dr. Danny Faulkner's opinion. You know what you should do with all those opinions? Just throw them out. Because why should you care what we think? But you know, I really, intru- somebody said amen. <laughs> I get it. I mean, a lesser man would be offended, but I get it. <laughs> but you know, I really and truly believe there are people in history who've, who've earned the right to be heard. You know who said Genesis was history? Paul did. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Is that a true statement? You bet it is. My home church, we call that good preaching. My pastor would get a hold of that verse and he'd go about four weeks on that one verse. By the time he gets done, we'd be excited. We'd be throwing babies up in the air. That's good preaching right there. That's right. Now, Can somebody relate this verse to the book of Genesis for me? That one man was who? You read about Adam where? So Paul, under the inspiration of God, said there was a one man who sinned to bring death. You read about that one man in Genesis. If Genesis isn't real history, Romans 5, 12 is a what? There's a disconnect. And you know who sees this so clearly? The world. As with so many of these issues, the world seems to see it so clearly and the church just doesn't get it. Why? The church no longer has understanding of the times. Becomes clear now the whole justification of Jesus' life and death is predicated on the existence of Adam and the forbidden fruit he and Eve ate. Without the original sin, who needs to be redeemed? Without Adam's fall into a life of constant sin terminated by death, what purpose is there to Christianity? None. That was not written by a theologian. That was written by an atheist. He points out, church, you just don't get it. Now, I'm about to show you the thing that more than any other, in my experience, the thing that more than any other causes people to doubt the word of God, causes people to question the word of God, rocks. I don't get it. I'm a life sciences guy. There is nothing duller than rocks. I mean, when I say something's dull as a, ba- as a box of rocks, that's dull, okay? Now, Dr. Snelling, my geologist buddy, would disagree with me, but it's his privilege to be wrong. <laughs> but you see those rocks? Those rocks are obviously millions of years old. I've been told that by any number of geologists. Tommy, your Bible's not true. You see those rocks? Those rocks are obviously millions of years old. We've even done tests on some of those rocks. Those rocks are obviously millions of years old. It's obvious. Those rocks are the physical geologic proof that the earth is hundreds of millions of years old. Your Bible's not true. See those rocks? They're old. What's obvious about those rocks? They're rocks. What does an old rock look like? A rock. What does a young rock look like? A rock. What's the difference between an old rock and a young? They're rocks. But what the world says is these rocks were laid down by slow processes over hundreds of millions of years. They are, in effect, the physical proof that the earth is millions of years old, and most Christians accept that. And Christian, if you accept that, you've got a big problem. You know what your problem is? It's called fossils. Fossils are the remains of what? Dead things. To become a fossil, first thing you've got to be is 
dead. The rest of it ain't too hard. I mean, you get dead, you get covered up, you become a fossil. So if the rocks were laid down by slow processes over hundreds of millions of years, in many of these layers, you'd find fossils. The fossils would then be the physical record of millions of years of what? Death. Oh, Adam, it's such a perfect world. Yes, Eve, it's very good, like God said. Is that what God's word tells us? You bet. Is this what God's word means? Let's see, after those six days, you know, God said day, but he meant millions of years. It's one of those allegory kind of things. He said day, but he meant like long periods of time. It's, you got to really think about that. So anyway, he looks on everything he created and says, hey, this is very good, including all these rock layers and all those fossils. You know what you find in the fossil record? Evidence of animals that have ripped each other up, animals that have eaten each other, bone disease, arthritis, infectious disease. We find fossil evidence of brain tumors. And God called that very good, not the God I serve. And it's even worse than that. If the millions of years are true, then we obviously evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years because that's what the evolutionists say because they're scientists and they know everything. And the thing is, they said that's what happened. So during this process of evolving from ape-like creatures, we became human enough. And at some point along this evolutionary time scale thing, God turns to Adam and says this, Adam, don't do that or you're going to die. If the millions of years are true, what would Adam's logical response be? So what? I'm going to die anyway. See, if death were already here, how could death be the punishment for man's disobedience? How could Christ's death on the cross be the atonement for our sin? You've got a huge disconnect. Either God created in six days, it was a perfect creation, man's disobedience brought death and corrupted this creation, or you know what's always been here? Death. If the millions of years are true, you know what's always been here? Death. If the millions of years are true, you know what's an absolute requirement? Death. Evolution has been called the religion of death. Without death, evolution doesn't work. It doesn't go. It doesn't progress. What's the process that makes evolution go? Survival of fittest. And this is not a hard concept. You know, strong creatures survive. Weak creatures fall by the wayside. For example, in Africa, who lives longer? Fast gazelles or slow ones? Fast ones. Okay. Slow ones become lunch. This is not hard. And you really can't straddle this line. You've got two starting points that don't agree. If one of them's right, the other one's wrong. See, there was a time that the church built its thinking on the Word of God. Sadly, in the majority of cases in this day and age, the church builds its thinking on man's fallible ideas. Why? We've had generations of pastors and church leaders uh, brought up and taught that they're supposed to take man's ideas and use them to reinterpret the Word of God. The vast majority of, of seminaries and, church, uh, and, and Christian colleges and universities are strongly compromised on this area. Oh, Tommy, that's not true. Yes, it is. I think that if the data is overwhelming in favor favor of evolution to deny that reality will make us a cult uh, some odd group that's not really interacting with the real world it will I, I mean and rightly so I mean we will uh, we're not we're not using our gifts nor trusting God's providence that brought us to this point of our awareness. 
because I see all of history is in God's providence, and I think we're at a unique moment in history. Uh, so many strands are coming together. We're on a, uh, almost to my mind, the pinnacle of history. We're aware of these things. And to deny the reality would be to deny the truth of God in the world and would be to deny truth. So I think it would be... That's all I can stand. This is Bruce Walkie, one of America's most prominent theologians. And you just heard him tell you this directly. If you take God at his word, that makes you part of a cult. If taking God at his word makes me part of a cult, I got one question. Where do I sign up? But he says, if you don't take God's truth in the world by which he means evolution, if we don't use it to, to, to reinterpret our Bibles, help us understand what God directly communicated to us, if we don't accept evolution and weave it into our Bibles, we're going to show the world we have a blind faith. No, we don't. I work for a ministry called Answers. That's right. We do answers. I got lots of answers. I don't have a blind faith. I got a sound, logical defense of my faith. And I don't need man to tell me what to believe. Now, the thing is, I'm not denying science. I'm not trying to be anti-scientific. Do not read that into what I'm saying. But I will not take man's fallible view of origins and help me reinterpret the word of the living God. I will not do that. Because you know what evolution is at its core? It's a way to, to, to explain how we got here without man. It's essentially a godless philosophy. So we're going to take a man-centered godless philosophy and help us interpret the direct communication we have from the creator God of the universe. That doesn't make an abundant amount of sense to me. But after all, evolution is such a godly sort of philosophy. The, um, this is something that, that, that I wrote a whole book about, and someone asked me yesterday why I wrote that book. Because it is the most poetic thing I know about the universe. Um, but the amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay? And, and anyway. Forget Jesus. The stars died so you could be here. Now, why shouldn't we take that philosophy and let us, you know, reinterpret the Word of God? But, you know, if evolution's true, he's right. The stars did die so we could be here. But, you know, the troubling part of that clip wasn't what he said. It was the applause at the end. And so we've got all these Christian academics saying we've got to take evolution and use it to help us reinterpret the Word of God. Now, you know who says they're wrong? The evolutionists do. And was there a particular point that, or something that you read or an experience you had that sort of said, yeah, this is it, God doesn't exist? Oh, well, by far the most important, I suppose, was understanding evolution. Um, I think the evangelical Christians have really sort of got it right in a way in seeing uh, evolution as the enemy, um, whereas the more, what should we say, sophisticated theologians who are quite happy to live with evolution I think they're deluded, and I think the, I think the evangelicals have got it right uh, in that there really is a deep incompatibility between evolution and Christianity, and I think I realized that at the age of about 60. 
This is Richard Dawkins, who I think can fairly be characterized as the world's leading spokesperson for evolution. He says these sophisticated theologians that try to combine Christianity and evolution, they're deluded. Now, I would never use such a harsh term and apply it to Dr. Walkout. That's an unfortunate term. I wish I had another clip that he used. So I would say mistaken, misguided. But nonetheless, the world's leading evolutionists say these two things don't go together. And we've got all these Christian academics saying we've got to put them together. And you know who's seeing all this turmoil? Our young people are. Young people growing up in Christian homes, young people growing up in church-attending Christian homes, Barna statistics tell us that 70% of those young people aren't going to church when they get older. Lifeway Commission has studied that's up to 80%. I've talked to pastors all over the country. They tell me, Tommy, our young people are walking away in record numbers. What's the problem? Well, a few years ago, we published this book. It's called Already Gone. And along with Britt Beamer and America's Research Group, we surveyed 1,000 young people ages 20 to 29 who don't go to church anymore but did when they were young. And there were two issues, two questions we wanted answered. When did you decide to walk away? What was the reason you decided to walk away? Now, if you'd asked us 10 years ago, when did our young people walk away from church, we would have said high school and college, when their faith's being formally and intellectually challenged. And high school's still an important time. The thing that shocked us was this. How about elementary and middle school? In our survey, by the end of middle school, 43% of those who walked away had already decided they were going to. Now, at that early age, they may still be coming to church, you know, because mom and daddy are dragging them. But statistically speaking, go to any church in America, line up all the young people down front, 80% of those young people are already gone. That doesn't frighten you. It should. The number one reason our young people walk away, and it's, and it's really simple when you think about it, nobody answered my question. This is Michelle who says, I have three teenage boys and now two of them are questioning the Bible. This scares me. They tell me if the Bible is truth, then I should be able to reasonably explain the existence of dinosaurs. This is just one of many things they question. Even my husband is agreeing with them. How do I explain things to them that the Bible doesn't cover? I'm so afraid that they're walking away from God. My biggest fear is to not have my children and husband next to me in God's kingdom. Look, I know people are probably trying to lynch me when I say this, but Bishop Usher, God bless him, wasn't inspired by the Lord when he said it all took 6,000 years. <clears throat> it just didn't. And you go back in time, you've got radiocarbon dating, you've got all these things, and you've got the, 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 the carcasses of dinosaurs frozen in time out in the Dakotas, you know. They, they got Sue, that big, uh, um, what was it, you know, the, the, the fierce one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was it a Tyrannosaurus? Yeah, t Tyrannosaurus Rex. And, and uh, I don't know if they, this one had a, a female name like Susie or something, but anyhow. <laughs> They're out there. And so there was a time that these giant reptiles were on the earth, and it was before the time of the Bible. So don't try to cover it up and make like everything was 6,000 years. But that's not the Bible. That's Bishop Usher. And uh, so if you fight revealed science, you're going to lose your children. And I, I believe in telling them the way it was. You can just imagine how excited about that answer we were. Because after all, if you don't teach your kids reveal science, by which he means evolution, you know, man's fallible view of origins in the millions of years. If you don't teach your kids reveal science, you're going to lose your kids. Because after all, you really should teach your kids that dinosaurs existed before the time of the Bible. I've got this history book. And this history book I have comes to me from the perfect historian. 
the one who's always been there who wouldn't tell me a lie, who in certain cases was the only one there when certain events occurred. And this history book starts at a really amazing spot in history. You know where it starts? In the beginning of history. What existed before the time of the Bible? Nothing. Well, God was there, but no physical creation. But the dinosaurs existed before the time of the Bible. That ranks as one of the stupidest things I ever heard in my life. In the beginning, there's nothing before the time of the Bible. There's a word at AIG we really discourage people from using. That word is prehistoric. Is there any such thing as prehistoric? Nope. My history book starts, as I said, at a really amazing place. It starts in the beginning. But you got to teach your kids to reveal science or you're going to lose your kids. Now, you know what Pat Robertson is? And I always try to make sure I don't give people too much time because I've had some really strange answers yelled out from the crowd. But nonetheless, he's 100% wrong. Of how I became an atheist. I was born into a Christian family and indoctrinated as, uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school, and I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist. Wow, who'd have guessed? What happened to this young man? He got taught revealed science. You know what he did? He walked away. Do you hear what he said? He said, I was raised in a Christian home and I was indoctrinated. Did you catch that? That annoyed me the first few times I heard that, but as I thought about it, that's exactly what happened. You know what he, he was told? Bible says that you're supposed to believe it. Bible says that you're supposed to believe it. Bible says, you're, folks, the Bible says it is true. Do not mistake what I'm saying. But if you tell a young person, the Bible says that you're supposed to believe it, sometimes they got this really annoying question. Why? That's a good question. We need to have an answer to that. Indoctrination says, believe it because I say so. Believe it because I say so. See, then he goes, he never gets any answers. He goes out oops, into the world and is taught an entirely new view of origins. He says, I'll never get me any answers in church. I'm done. But think about this now. When young people come to church, and again, I don't mean here, I mean church in the global sense. In, in the typical church, when young people come to church, what are they taught? They're taught Bible stories. You know, Jesus fed the 5,000, Paul's missionary journey. They're taught Bible stories. Is that Noah's Ark? Is that Noah's Ark? You got a 50-50 chance. Is that Noah's Ark? Actually, it is. The reason I know that, the giraffes are sticking out the top. If the giraffes aren't sticking out the top, it's not Noah's Ark. That's the defining characteristic of the true Noah's Ark. The giraffes are sticking out the top. Now, the reason I know that is because the vast majority of churches I speak in, and these are churches that invite us in, by the way. When I go to the kids' areas, this is what I see. The overstuffed houseboat with the giraffe sticking out the top and the monkey on the porthole and the guy with the long white beard and the butterfly net and all the cute animals on the deck. So we get a little Johnny in church. You know, if we're, if we're really lucky, we get a little Johnny one morning a week, you know, every other Wednesday for snow soccer practice. And he comes to Sunday school and we whip the juice and cookies on him and everything. And he said, we're going to whip some Bible knowledge on you. Okay, Miss Bible teacher person, what are we going to learn about that? Oh, we're going to talk about Noah's Ark. You know, the overstuffed houseboat with the draft taking out the top and the long white beard and the butterfly net and all the cute animals on the deck. Okay, thank you for the Bible knowledge, Miss Sunday school teacher. I'm going to see you next week. So where's little Johnny go the rest of the week? He goes out into the world. Where does he get attacked? Everywhere. Hey, little Johnny, there's no way you can fit all those animals on the ark. The rock layers are laid down over millions of years. Hey, little Johnny, a global flood would be impossible. Noah's flood's a myth. Where'd all that water come from? Hey, little Johnny, the Bible's not true. 
Well, little Johnny gets back to Sunday school the next week and he's had a tough week. And he says, thank you, Miss Sunday School teacher, person, uh, uh, you know, I've got my juice and cookies and everything. And, uh, I get, but about 47 things came up this week. Do you think you could help me out? I'm kind of struggling here with a little bit. And we don't teach him the answers. We tell him what? Another Bible story. And then we tell him just to trust in Jesus. You know, little Johnny's going to grow up. He's going to realize he never got any answers. You know what he's going to say? I'm done. Is that happening in our churches? Every single day. Whose fault is it? It's the church's fault. Why? The church no longer has understanding of the times. Now, I'm in no way absolving the parents from their responsibility. Do not read that in what I'm saying. It's only the parents' responsibility. But at the same time, where do most parents get discipled? In the church. Now, where's little Johnny go to learn real things? You know, real biology, real geology, real anthropology. They go to school, right? 93% of children in churches around the country go to public school. But if you homeschool, Christian school, or private school and think you're safe, you are so mistaken. You should see some of the curriculum that's out there, and some of the curriculum is coming. But little Johnny can go, go out in the world and learn real things, real science like this. Fourteen and a half billion years ago, nothing exploded. I'm going to give that a minute to sink in because I don't care who you are, folks. That's deep, okay? First there was nothing, then it exploded. Now, what's going to happen about 9 o'clock tonight, you're going to go... Wow, I got it. First, there was nothing, then it exploded. That's called science. You know what the first law of thermodynamics says? Matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can only be changed one form to the other. Basically, you can't get something from nothing. Except in the beginning. Like the biology textbooks say, life only comes from life. You know, life doesn't come from non-life. Except in the beginning. See, the world has to violate their own worldview, the laws and principles of the universe by which they understand how matter works. They have to violate their own worldview to make it work. I don't have any problem understanding where matter came from. None, not at all, zero problem. You know why? I have a personal relationship with the only one who can create from nothing. Or little Johnny be taught this. You know, we evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years. Now, has anybody not seen an illustration like this at some point in their life? I've seen this since I was like in kindergarten. You know, it says, you know, we're sort of knuckle-dragging and semi-upright, then my mother-in-law, then fully human. <laughs> and, and that's how we got here. <laughs> Laugh if you want to, but that's basically what it says. Now, how much fossil evidence is there to support this? None. But they're hanging on to Lucy. Lucy's proof. Lucy's proof. No, she's not. Lucy's an ape. Always been an ape. But if that's true, this is true. If the world's view is true, this is grandfather and this is grandmother. You know, for decades now, our culture, our society, we've taught our kids are just animals. You're just an animal. You're just an animal. You're just an animal. You're just an animal. And now we turn around and complain when they act like animals. I don't get it. We're not animals. We're made in the image of the living God. So, Tommy, let me see if I get this straight. Are you suggesting we need to teach geology and biology and astronomy and anthropology and things like that in church? Is that what you're suggesting? Nah, I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying it directly. Either we're like the children of Issachar, men who have understanding of the times, understand what the world's throwing at us and our young people, equip them to have sound biblical scientific answers to the questions of the age, or we turn our kids over to the world to be educated. It's just that simple. And when we fail our kids, the world is out there more than, wi more than willing to give our kids secular answers to the questions of the age. It's up to us. If our kids are educated by the world, it's not the world's fault, it's our fault. 
But here's a, here's a really weird concept. I want to see if you can wrap your mind around this because some people, most people seem to have trouble with this. Let's get a little Johnny in Sunday school and get him in our home Bible times, our teaching times at home, and start with a really unique thing, say, the Bible. And we're going to talk about Noah's Ark. How about this? 503 feet long, 80 feet wide, 53 feet high. As we say back home, folks, ain't no giraffe going to stick out the top of that boat. That's a floating warehouse. Let's get this image out of little Johnny's minds because it's a cartoon. It's a fable. It's fiction. But when we start with the Word of God, we got all these amazing things we can do. How do you start off with two dogs and, uh, um, and you get all these different varieties of dogs? We got an answer. I mean, well, let me ask you, how many dogs would have been on Noah's Ark? How many cows are on Noah's Ark? How many cats are on Noah's Ark? Too many. That's free. Yeah. Hey, where'd all that water come from? Hey, see those rocks? Those rocks are obviously millions of years old. You know, that's what I've been told. See, those rocks are obviously millions of years old. You know all I need to get those rocks is a whole lot of water and a little bit of time. How about the great fountains of the deep breaking open, the worst cataclysm the world's ever seen, sedimentation on a global cataclysmic catastrophic scale. Give me the history and the word of God. In a few weeks, I'll get you all the rock layers you can stand. It doesn't take millions of years. How about billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth? The vast majority of what we call the fossil record can be explained from the sediment from the flood of Noah's day. I even have answers about dinosaurs. We're going to do an entire session during this conference just about dinosaurs. Folks, there's one thing the world uses to steal the hearts and minds of our kids. It's dinosaurs. See, we start with the Bible because it is the true history. It gives us the foundation of our, uh, uh, of our cosmology, of our anthropology, of our geology. It gives us the foundation because it's real history. We relate that real history to the real world. We equip little Johnny to have sound biblical scientific answers, and he's going to go out in the world and get attacked. But he's going to have answers. He's going to have a sound logical defense of the faith. And you know what he's ultimately going to be? The best possible witness for Jesus Christ he can be. Because that's what this is about. It's not about sending little little Johnny out there so he can dispute with his friends and his teachers. He's going to have to stand strong and defend his faith. But we're not sending out an army of people to dispute. We're sending out an army of people to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that says this book's a book of myths, fables, fairy tales. Why is this important? You've got to be able to defend your faith. The world says this book's a book of myths, fables, fairy tales. They're not going to listen. But guess what? They ask you questions and you've got answers. They may walk away, but I've seen it time and time and time again. They go, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, dinosaurs are on the ark. Oh, I I didn't know about that. It's going to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ in an ever skeptical, lost, and dying world. Because, folks, whatever we do today, if it's not only for Jesus Christ, what are we doing it for? We want you to have answers. Why? We want you to be the best possible witness you can be. And you know what Johnny's going to do? He's going to pass that down to the next generation, the next generation, and the next. And this is not an option. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. As much as we're able to, as fallible human beings, understand that we need to have a sound, logical defense of the faith, equip ourselves and our young people to have answers to the questions of the age, we don't want to be like so many in the church today that really don't have an understanding of the times. We want to have an acute understanding of the times, equip ourselves to have answers to the questions that the world has so we can be the best possible witnesses we can be.
This conference is going to start doing that. We're going to have a number of other sessions in this conference, but there's no way we can cover everything. When you've got more questions, go to our website, www.answersingenesis.org. It's the largest creation apologetics website in the world. It's over 10,000 articles on this website. Just go to the search engine and type in Carbon 14 or Charles Darwin or Noah's Ark. We're going to give you lots of answers. Answers Magazine is our flagship publication. It is not just a magazine about creation and evolution. It's a magazine about biblical worldview, how to better understand what we as Christians believe, how to better defend your faith in an ever-skeptical, ever-hostile society. It comes out quarterly. It's a wonderful resource. Each issue has a pull-out children's section in it designed to help us equip the youngest among us to defend their faith from the earliest age. And here at the conference, for every year you subscribe, we'll give you a free DVD. So if you subscribe for three years, we'll give you three free DVDs. It is not often people will bribe you to subscribe to their magazine. That's exactly what we're going to do. I promise it'll, it'll be a blessing to you. Our Answers Book series, Answers Books 1, 2, 3, and 4, and these four volumes, over 120 of the most asked questions we get at Answers in Genesis with sound biblical scientific answers. Again, folks, you take a stand for Jesus Christ in this culture, I promise you, you're going to get these questions. I used to get them all the time from my patient. I'd be checking their blood pressure, and they'd be asking me, where can't get his wife? What about dinosaurs? Guess what I had answers to those things. You need to have those answers too. Why is creation apologetics important? Ken Ham's book, The Lie. We tell people this is sort of the textbook of our ministry. Why we do what we do. Why is this so foundational to what we believe as Christians? This is one of my most favorite resources. As a matter of fact, uh, 22 years ago when I first really got convicted about this in a big way, uh, this is one of the resources that pushed me towards that. This is the 25th anniversary edition. Uh, it's just been available for about a year. Lots of resources for kids, particularly resources involving dinosaurs. Um, I talk Jurassic Prank, a dinosaur tale. The most asked question we get in our ministry these days is simply this. Hey, Christian, if your God's a God of love, why is there so much death and suffering in the world? In my DVD, A God of Suffering, we answer that question. And we do have an answer, but you know where it starts? It starts in Genesis. I know you're shocked. For those of you who missed the Bill and I Ken Ham debate, we've got the DVD set here. It was a really interesting, very long, very stressful evening, but it's certainly worth two hours of your time. This is, this is the... Uh, uh, the uh, post-production set that we've got uh, all the answers and a lot of other resources on it for you. And here at the conference, we have what we call our You Choose special. The more things you get, the bigger discount we'll give you. That way you can sort of pick and choose. We want you to build your own creation library at home, but we also want to give you the biggest possible discount so you can talk to the folks out at the resource tables and they'll tell you about this. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is the Foundation Curriculum Kit. It's a six-DVD set by Ken Ham, broken into 12 lectures. It's got a teacher's guide and a study guide. It's a way to have a complete creation seminar um, available to you, you know, at your fingertips. This has been used for individual studies, Sunday school classes, discipleship classes, new member classes, homeschool group study. It's been used in, in any number of, of, uh, of venues that you can imagine. It's been very, very well received. It's a wonderful resource, and I highly recommend it. Destroy my confidence in the Bible as an historical record, and you destroy my confidence in it altogether. For by far the largest part of the Bible is historical record. You must believe the whole of Holy Scripture, or with the narrow-minded infidel, you must disbelieve the whole. There is no middle course open to you. He who surrenders the first page of his Bible surrenders all. And with that, we're done. I promised you sassy, and I delivered. <laughs> Amen. Well, as the worship team uh, gets ready to lead us in a closing song, I, I want to tell you what was causing me the most... Uh, concern is, is that Brother Tommy was preaching to the church. Their ministry, they are evangelists to Christians. 
he was trying to persuade a Christian person to actually embrace the Genesis account of creation and the fall and the flood to Christians. That's what we've been talking about Sunday after Sunday here. The progressive, emergent Christians, the enlightened ones, the more loving, the more forgiving, the more spiritual ones out there. Oh, they're moving forward. Using the Bible as a narrative. That's their word. A story from which we can get our morals and how to love people and forgive them and tolerate and accept everybody. And it's okay. You guys are so uptight. You narrow-minded, ignorant, old-fashioned evangelicals. From the church. From the seminaries with open Bibles. There are people in this room right now, they're having troubles. Think of the creation. Story is just a a story. You get rid of that, you have nothing to stand on. And that's the whole point of Satan behind all this progressive movement away from the truth into myth that cannot save, cannot help you, cannot give you any hope whatsoever. So you know what? As for me and my household, (laughs) as for me and this household, we will serve the Lord. We will love the Bible. We will examine the scriptures daily to see if whatever person is saying is true. Amen? Amen? And you know what? If my Jesus, my Lord and Savior, can say narrow, is the road that leads to life and few there be that find it and broad is the path that leads to destruction and many go that way. If my Lord and Savior Jesus can say it's a narrow way to make it to life and you want to call me narrow-minded, that's a compliment. Thank you very much. Amen. You hang in there with Jesus, right? You just stand with Jesus and you're going to be okay. Amen? Amen? All right. What do I do now? (laughs) All right. It's time to stand for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.